I landed in this country with $2.50 in cash and a million dollars in hopes. And those hopes never left me. Those are the words of Charles Ponzi, who may have been the quintessential dreamer and schemer. In 1920, after just eight months of diligent grifting, Ponzi turned those hopes into fortune, raking in an estimated $15 million, which is about $195 million in today's dollars. He did this by scamming 40,000 innocent Bostonians out of their hard-earned dough in a fraudulent plan that would become his namesake. Exactly how did Ponzi pull this off? Ponzi's success had a lot to do with the magic of arbitrage, buying something for less and selling it for more. You see, in Ponzi's heyday, you could buy a prepaid international postage reply coupon in a foreign country and exchange it for a U.S. postage stamp worth more money. If you bought a coupon in Spain, for instance, you could redeem it back in the United States for roughly a 10% profit. Now, arbitrage opportunities can be legitimate ways to make money. People have built entire businesses out of buying goods cheaply and reselling them on sites like Amazon or eBay. But in Ponzi's case, postal coupon arbitrage was just a front for a deceptive scheme of massive proportions. In a so-called Ponzi or pyramid scheme, scammers take money from new investors to pay off their debts to previous investors. It's borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. Anyway, investors in these schemes are typically promised outrageous returns. Ponzi promised his investors a 50% haul in just 90 days. In comparison, banks in those days were only offering around a 5% return. Oh, the life-changing magic of getting rich quick. But the magic only lasts as long as the number of unwary investors keeps growing. To expand the circle, scammers coach original investors to recruit new ones. And the whole thing balloons until there are no investors left to enlist. Eventually, the balloon bursts, leaving a huge mess. Anyhow, Ponzi, who was a dapper dresser with a natural charm, got to work selling his scheme far and wide. He told people he had agents all over the world buying up postal coupons and redeeming them in the U.S. Did he really have agents all over the world? Nope. Instead, he was taking money from new investors to pay off the old ones and making a lot of money doing it. Naturally, Ponzi's unusual success raised the suspicions of local journalists and authorities. He was able to hide the scheme for several months He even avoided two potentially devastating runs on his company by skittish investors, but he could only fend off fate for so long. In the summer of 1920, an audit by the Massachusetts Bank Commission and a newspaper investigation into Ponzi's prior criminal activity revealed his scheme for the mirage that it was. When it all tumbled down like a house of cards, six banks failed, Ponzi's investors received less than 30 cents on the dollar of their original investment, and Ponzi ended up in prison for 14 years for mail fraud. A final audit of his company assets turned up a mere $61 worth of postal reply coupons. Thankfully, Ponzi's scheme was the last of its kind, and the knowledge of how he managed to hoodwink 40,000 people a century ago has kept doe-eyed investors free from crooked schemes ever since. (laughs) Just kidding. People are still running Ponzi schemes and sadly succeeding with them to this day. On the podcast today, we're going to hear from a modern day victim of a Ponzi scheme, John Vuong. He's an entrepreneur who lost over $100,000 when an acquaintance of his, who was just as charming as Charles Ponzi, offered him a deal he couldn't refuse. This is Flops.
Welcome to Flops, where we uncover what happens when business plans go up in smoke and what we can learn from sifting through the ashes. I'm Karen Beatty, Senior Content Manager at SPI Media. And I'm Ray Sylvester, Senior Writer at SPI Media, a company that gives entrepreneurs the knowledge, guidance, and community they need at all stages of their business building journey. And as the content team at SPI, Karen, we love helping entrepreneurs tell their stories, especially when they're stories of success. We love success. Yes, that's right. We love success. But these stories of achievement also remind us of the simple fact that entrepreneurship is risky. And when you're trying to be bold and build something new, failure is very much an option, which got us thinking, what can we and others learn from the stories of entrepreneurs who have failed? Yes. And when we say failed, we mean really failed. In this podcast, we'll be sharing stories of big failure and recovery from everyday entrepreneurs to uncover how failure can spark learning, inspire bold new ideas, lead to surprising redemptions, and offer a chance to build something better. And also, you know, avoid failure in the first place if possible. (laughs) Yes, of course. So, Ray, here we are. It's episode one. Yes. Why should our listeners want to tune into the show about failure? Good question. And why are you intrigued enough with it to want to host Flops with me? Another good question. Well, I think the short answer is that success is so celebrated. I mean, success stories are easy to find. And when failure gets highlighted, it's usually in the context of some wider success. So I think it could be really cool and powerful to approach the topic of failure more head on, you know, to put it at the center in a sensitive way. So to give entrepreneurs a safe space where they can share their failure stories and, you know, we can create kind of an opportunity to lean in, to examine some of the sharper edges of failure, you know, some of the Mm -hmm. murky details, how it happens, how does it unfold? How do you recover from failure? And, you know, what are the lasting impacts that failure can leave both positive and negative? So I just think there's a big opportunity to dig in a little bit and, and share some of the gritty reality of building a business that doesn't always get the limelight. Sure, sure. So Karen, let me throw the same question back to you. Why are you here? Well, I agree with everything you said. And for me, I think I want to normalize failure. Yeah. In today's social media obsessed world, we're always presenting the best sides of ourselves. And it's easy to doubt and wonder, why am I not as successful as this person or that person? Yeah. But we don't know their whole story. You know, maybe that successful looking person has had many failures along the way that we just don't know about. And as entrepreneurs, of course, you want to put your best foot forward in public You have an image and brand to protect, but I think talking about our failures and being vulnerable is actually something that can bring authenticity and integrity to our work in the long run. Yeah, vulnerability for sure. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page, it sounds like, and um, I'm excited for us to share these stories with the world. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Well, now that's out of the way, let's talk about what to expect in the rest of this episode. Sure. So we heard about Charles Ponzi, and unfortunately, people have been getting conned by scammers like him since long before and long after Ponzi made a dishonorable name for himself. Right. And in this inaugural episode of Flops, we're going to hear from an entrepreneur named John Vuong, who lost tons of money when he fell prey to a modern-day pyramid scheme in his 20s. Yeah, John has an incredible story, one that can teach us a lot about how to tell a real opportunity from a fraudulent one and how to take the right kinds of risks when you're trying to build a business with integrity. And spoiler alert, John was thankfully able to claw his way back from his devastating financial loss and turn his life around, but it was not an easy road. Let's hear his story. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. 
Thanks a lot for having me, Ray. Yeah. So was wondering if you could just give us a little explanation of who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, definitely. So my name is John Vong. I am the founder and owner of a company called Local SEO Search. I started this company seven years ago and we're located in Toronto, Canada. And I solely focus on servicing small, medium-sized businesses in Canada and North America, actually, but mainly service-based professional services. Cool, cool. And how long have you been doing that? How long have you had that business? Seven years. Previous to that, I was in advertising sales for 10 years. Gotcha. Very cool. So as you know, the, the reason we're talking today is because you have a story of failure that you that you were open to share with us. Yeah, definitely. So while working in advertising sales, I was always very hungry. I was very much motivated by money at that time. In my early 20s or mid 20s, I was always striving to be more, do more and have more. And at that time, I probably saved up about 50,000 or so. And that would be sufficient enough for me to put a down payment on a condo or a home or whatnot. But instead, I was a very much of a risk taker and I got caught up in a multi-level marketing or a scheme or a pyramid scheme. And I was caught up with someone that deceived me and not only took some of my money and a lot of my friends' money because I was responsible for some of that as well, but also put me into a pretty big debt situation. And I was not sure if I wanted to file for bankruptcy and start right over or plug away and slowly pay it off. Gotcha. So you were caught up in what we would think of as a classic Ponzi scheme. Is that is yeah. that what it was? Yeah. yeah. And I think I was down for at least $100,000. Wow. Wow. I can imagine that probably had a huge impact on your life. And we'll, we'll definitely get into some of those details. But what I, I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, who you were and, and, and how you ended up getting involved in, in this scheme. Yeah. So growing up, I uh, grew up as a immigrant son or child of four uh, from my parents came from Vietnam. So we didn't have much growing up, lived in government housing. So for me, it was an opportunity to not just earn money when I first got my, my job and career started, but really I wanted to do more. I wanted to have more. I always wanted to drive that nice car or live in a nice fancy home. And I was always chasing. And therefore I was very open to meeting people. And I was very vulnerable at that time, right? Being in my mid twenties, I was always chasing for fast returns, not just in sales, but in life, right? So that's where I think I got caught up chasing and I was attracted by very attractive return on investment and a, a scheme that really liquidated and, you know, really wiped me out dry after two years. And I had to start from ground zero again. So I wanted to, to go back a little bit to the moment you got involved with the scheme. It sounds like there was one person kind of in the middle of or directing, orchestrating this. Is that correct? Yeah. So someone that was involved, the mastermind of it all, he was really good in sales, right? He pretty much conned me and he conned dozens of others that were vulnerable, that were seeking out fast returns, right? And that's where I learned, like, you know, me being a risk taker in sales allowed me to be involved in a lot more opportunities, but things that come too quickly or too easily should be really well thought out. And I jumped into things really quickly at that age. 
And was this someone that you knew personally? Like, how did you make first contact with with the person who was running the scheme? Or did you did you learn about them through someone else who was involved? Like, how did that, what was that relationship with him like? I was dating someone and the girl introduced me and I thought she was involved, but she also got conned. So like, where did you meet him? Like, what was that first meeting like? We actually met at his business. So he ran a printing shop business. Gotcha. And so you met at his office. What was your first, what was your first interaction with him? Like, was he really charming or how did he dress? Like, yeah, he, he dressed, looked like a normal business owner, right? I've encountered a lot of business owners over my years, and he acted, and it felt like he was busy. He was doing stuff to look like he was actually running a real business, but it might have, and it was a front. And was he like personally charming? Like, did he kind of win you over? Definitely. He spoke very well, very fluent. He was definitely a salesperson. He definitely knew how to ask the right questions, really warmed up really quickly and Mm -hmm. felt like he was actually wanting to help me at that time become more profitable or uh, try to invest properly. Like he, he cared, it felt like. Yeah. You mentioned that this had an effect, a a negative effect on some of your relationships. Can you tell me what that meant for you? Who, who did you draw in to, to be part of this scheme with you? Yeah, definitely some of my friends because they trusted me. I'm lucky to still be friends with some, but not others. Because again, when it comes to money and when they lose it, you're the one who brought them in. So then you become accountable. And I also had lawsuits against me because I'm the one that brought them in. So not only did it break a lot of our friendships and relationships, but it also really made me think about why I was doing it in the first place. Like really reflect on, you know, yes, I brought people in, but why did they also want to come in, right? And mm-hmm. what was really in it for me? I wanted to help people, right? And I thought it was the right thing to do. And I trusted this person who conned us all. Tell me a little bit about the the mechanics of the scheme. Like what did it actually look like? How did it work? I'm sure it had some surface characteristics that made it seem like a real business or, or investment opportunity of some sort. Yeah, so it had opportunities to generate lucrative returns where they were selling bulk paper products at a very huge volume. And what they wanted to do was resell, right, at profit. So there's always that distribution channel and there's margin. And it sounded really good to be dealing with the supplier to then distribute it with a margin. For me, it sounded great and it felt right. But of course, I didn't dig deep enough to know exactly what was going on. And that's where he knew exactly what was going on. And he used the money to offshore the money and never really sold the product. He was just taking the money and siphoning it off to his offshore accounts. So what kind of evidence did the the person at the center of the scheme provide to pretend that this was a real business or opportunity? Yeah, b- bank statements, but of course, they were probably phony. Invoices that were phony. Everything could be falsified and documented, right? So I didn't dig deep enough. I didn't fact check. I didn't verify. I didn't go into the actual businesses 
if I was going to invest any money now, I would actually drive and see if they were legitimate real businesses accepting the invoices and suppliers and customers. So all these things being younger, I didn't know what to do right at that time. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about the the exact moment when you realized that you had been scammed? So like the very the very moment where it just hit you, like, where were you? What was going through your mind, your body? Yeah, definitely. So how the scam worked was I would put some money into the investment and he would write a check and I would deposit and it would go through properly, right? With some sort of interest. And it happened and it worked for a couple months. I was seeing that it was something that I can see doing for a little bit longer. And then there was that one time after a couple months where the check bounced. Yeah. And that's where red flags started happening. Reach out to them, call him and find out like what's going on. Can you Mm -hmm. resolve this? Give me another check. Tell me what's going on. It sounds like you had enough like early returns that were you feeling like, oh, this is legitimate. Like maybe there's just an honest mistake. Like exactly. So months go by, everything seemed normal. He acted normal. All the investments were working properly. And then bam, after a couple months, something happened. Mm -hmm. And what was it that happened? The check bounced. Uh, bounced. And for me, I was at the bank and then I checked to see what's going on. I called him up and he said, it was an honest mistake. Let me write you another check. Mm -hmm. So what did you think in that moment? Were you like, okay, this is a scam or were you still giving him the benefit of the doubt? Giving him the benefit of the doubt. And how long did you continue to give him the benefit of the doubt? So it went on for days, if not weeks, and kept coming up with more excuses. Mm-hmm. And then red flags started appearing because not only was I experiencing it, but so was my girlfriend at the time and other investors. Gotcha. Okay. So you started hearing similar stories that suggested that this wasn't just an honest mistake. Exactly. Okay. And then I, I really wanted to figure out like who else was in on this and who else also was maybe con like myself. So I was digging deeper and deeper and trying to realize like I was not the only one. Gotcha. Okay. So I assume you then found other, even more people who were being scammed by him? Exactly. Okay. So what was the point where you were like, okay, this is a scam? So I I didn't really want to believe it, right? Mm -hmm. But it was so unbelievable at the time like my emotions were like heartbroken Mm -hmm. because for me I let someone in to my life I put a lot of hard-earned money that I saved up for many many years if not lifetime I felt at that time I trusted him right Mm -hmm. with my portfolio of money and my gut feel was like heartbroken and then I went into like a depressional mode where I was like couldn't sleep at night, stressed over if ever will I get the money back and if Mm -hmm. not, what's going to happen. And so I called the police, right? Like I I did all the formal things I needed to do. Yeah. Go to the police, do the affidavit, let everyone know like this is what went on. What would you do? Mm -hmm. How can you help me? And, you know, they basically said, let me investigate. And that's more, even more painful because there's now nothing you can do personally. It just felt like, wow, this is happening to me. I see this on TV, I read it, but now it's unfolding right, you know, beneath my eyes. Yeah. Were there points 
either early on or after you got more involved where you had some doubt or maybe somebody even said to you, you know, I think this is, there's something not quite right about this. Were there points like that where you could have changed direction or realized what was really happening, but decided to, to forge on? Yeah, definitely. I, I saw some red flags, but again, him being a con man, he sounded like he was always selling me, right? He was always saying the right things at the right time, providing me proof, but they weren't really proof, right? And as the months gone on, I was waiting for my returns. I was waiting for any anything back and it never came to fruition. And therefore, I contacted authorities. I pretty much said, look, this is the situation. Can you help me? Gotcha. Gotcha. And so you've, we've talked a little bit about relationships and how your relationships were affected by your involvement in, in the Ponzi scheme. And sounds like also trying to bring in other people. Who were the folks that you, that you brought on board? Some of my really good friends, you know, I grew up with them. So they trusted me and I would only do something to really help them. And they knew that, right? But of course, I lost some really good friends along the way. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about the moment where you realized you were being defrauded. How did that unfold? Yeah. So when I realized like the money is not going to be ever returned, lost a lot of sleep, stressed, didn't know what to do, over leveraged, fully maximize all credit cards and trying to figure out like, what is my next move? What should I be doing? Can I get out of this mess? I have done it before by student debt. So it's like going to school, incurring a lot of school debt. And can I do it faster and quicker? And, you know, how will it feel doing it at this point in my life? So yeah, like everything was going on in my mind. And it was super stressful. When you were involved in the scheme, were you working on other businesses? Did you have other projects? Or was this your sole focus? Did it consume your life? I had a full-time job. So I was still earning a living, right? I was a sales rep and, you know, I was making a decent living, almost six figures. So I, I was a professional at that time and just earning sales. So I knew I could eventually get out of my debt. It was more about like, how soon would I get out? Because I still got to live. I still got to provide shelter, food, you know, live life, right? So after talking to a lot of, of my older colleagues and people I respected, family members, and opened up, explained the situation. I basically said, look, I'm going to pay it off slowly. I'm going to eventually have to live through this as one of the biggest mistakes of my life, but also a learning mistake. I thought I was smart and savvy enough, but I was, again, caught up. I was too caught up in the rush and also the thrill and trying to make more, earn more quicker. And, you know, a lot of people get caught up like that. And until it hits you in a personal level and yourself, you read about it, you hear about it. And then you really, when you're in it and you do it on your own, you're like, wow, I can't believe it just happened to me. And then I had to start from scratch. Right. And I feel felt like, you know, someone that shouldn't have, but it happens to anyone. I mean, because you're just in it, you're just so involved that you're blinded, I, I guess. Mm -hmm. Could you share some of the things that that maybe initially blinded you to what was happening? I know that with a lot of Ponzi schemes, it has so much to do with the persuasive 
abilities of the person who's who's orchestrating the scheme as it does, you know, what the opportunity might look like on paper. Were there things that you were kind of mesmerized by that you now see were red flags that you would warn someone else about? Like, what are the things that you would you would share with someone to properly evaluate whether an opportunity is a good investment or fraud? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And really do your due diligence. Really understand who you're working with. Really get to know them and talk to the people that know him or her, right? So I didn't vet the same way I vet today on any dealings because, again, I was vulnerable. And at the beginning, what happened was I was getting a return. They showed me they. You know, I, I put deposit investment, I got money back with a return and it felt good for a couple months and good transaction. And then everything went sour. So typically that's what happens. They make look good, sound good, feel good. And then when you least expect it, things start going sour and then you get tied in deeper and deeper, adding more funds to then replace the ones that got, you know, it, it's, it's too, I guess it's scripted. Got it. So it sounds like once you realize that something's wrong, you're already in debt and there's no easy exit door. Is that? Yeah. And you just eat it. You, you basically just figure out that. And when you're young or you've never had money, it's a big hit on you. You know, I, I wanted to use that money for a down payment. And, you know, at mid twenties to thirties in that age range, that was my life savings. Right. And you know, to work hard, save a lot, and then have it all wiped out, it's hard for anyone, let alone someone in their, you know, 20s or 50s or 60s, right? I'm fortunate enough to be still young, to then have time to recoup it. For people that are in their 50s and 60s that rely strictly on this life savings and get wiped out, it, it's tough for them, right? To to even continue doing what they're doing, because you lose sleep, you lose, you're so stressed. Yeah, yeah. And you touched on you touched on something that relates to my next question, which is, you know, what, if anything, prevented things from turning out even worse than they did for you? So you mentioned being young, you know, not being in your 50s, where you would have a loss, a financial loss like that would have potentially hit much harder. You've also mentioned how it sounds like even though there were some some of your relationships were compromised as a result of what happened, you still had some people you could turn to. So definitely I had family and really close friends. And I've always been an honest person. I've been very open to them about the entire situation. And for me to, you know, let them know what really went on, they basically said, you know, how did you get yourself into this situation? Why did you do it? All these things. I knew I was duped. They knew it. It's more like, what do we do now? You eat it and you move on, right? Because we were all young. We were in our 20s and we had our whole life ahead of us. And for us, for me, I was a working professional. I was very motivated. I was in sales and I knew I can still earn enough to pay it off. For a lot of people, that might not be the case, right? So I'm very fortunate in that sense where I was educated enough to make that decision to not focus on like, the negatives and 
really file for bankruptcy, be on the credit bureau, like all that stuff is about, all about like, now let's put an action plan together. What is the payment structure? How do I pay out all my debt to move ahead so that it's slow and steady? Instead of trying to make that first 100K in two, five years, let's make it 10 years, right? And it's okay. Life is a journey. So I've learned so much along the way and I carry that on to this company that I'm running right now. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned, you know, obviously going through depression when this was happening. Were there points or people who reached out to you who saw that you were struggling before you told people what was what was happening, that you had been scammed and, and kind of revealed everything? Did people reach out to you and say, hey, like, what's going on? Like, what's wrong? Are you okay? I was really sheltered. Like, I, I was trying to hide everything. I was staying away from everyone. I was not going out like I used to, like playing sports, hanging out with friends. Like, I was you know, it's just different because mentally I was not stable. Um, mm-hmm. It was very difficult when you're in that situation to disclose a lot of things because, you know, it's it's uncomfortable, right? To disclose it to everyone. Yeah. So did people still, like, did they still try to reach oh, out to you or? Yeah, definitely. What did, you, what did you just kind of keep your distance? Oh, yeah. For me, it was more about, yes, there's dialogue, there's call, phone calls, but I never wanted to meet anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm super social. I'm like an extrovert. I'd go for coffee, lunch, clubs, sporting events, you name it. Like I would be the one who initiates it for everyone. And they knew something was up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems like at a time in your life when you maybe could have used the support of, you know, the people in your life, you you were maybe struggling to to let them in on what was happening at a time when you could have used them the most. Yeah, I was embarrassed, right? Like I was not just embarrassed, but like I, what was going on in my mind was I couldn't believe it just happened to me. Mm-hmm. And until it does happen to you, it, it's already too late. And I was going through a lot at that time. Um, just thinking about it, I can't believe it happened. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm curious how your experience has made you think about you know, the prospect of failing at something again. It sounds like you're, you're cautious about maybe failing in the same way. You're not going to fall for a scheme like that again. But how do you look at failure and risk-taking in general and in life and business as a result of what you went through? So I'm not adverse to risk-taking with money today. So losing 100K now or at that time, at that age, was very dramatic. Because it was substantial at that time. I didn't have much to begin with. I was going into debt and then I had to pay off the debt. At this stage of my life, you know, depending on where you're at, I'm at a different stage of my life. So spending 100K on marketing or advertising is a little bit different because I can then, yes, it's a risk, but it's a a calculated risk, right? It's more about knowing and being educated and informed and working with experts and thought leaders in different aspects of business. So knowing what you know and what I know today, it's a lot different and I'm much more calculated in terms of risk. I was also curious about just going back to some of the relationships. Have you been able to repair any of the relationships that may have been damaged? And what did it take to to repair those relationships? Yeah, like the two friends of mine are my best friends. They were also involved, but they're still my best friends. The one that is not, I mean, he took me to court. 
he's the one that really put a lot of stress and strain on me, put a lean, put like everything to really just get his money back. And, you know, yes, I get it. Money is very tight. You know, it's hard, right? For everyone involved. And it's going to live with me, regret or not. I just have to stay positive and continue pursuing what I want to do, right, in life. You mentioned that one of your friends actually sued you and is no longer one of your friends. What was the outcome of that lawsuit, if you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, so again, I went in because, you know, for me, it was a lucrative investment and I got returns back, right? But after a couple months, like I felt like it was a good investment. I gave him all the outline of what was going on, how the business ran. And then it was his decision to invest as well. Mm-hmm. However, it's because I brought him in that he also got duped. And because I was a part of it, he came after me knowing that I probably have a better chance to pay him back than sure. the scammer. Yeah. So did you end up having to pay him? Yes. I had to garnish my wages and it was a part of it. I think it was 15000 at that time. Yeah. That sounds like it would have just been like pouring salt in the wound for you or what it yeah, like definitely. I I tried to salvage the relationship, my friendship more than oh, okay. the money thing. I'm okay with, right? But it's friends. Like if you know me for five, ten, twenty years, like that's something worth keeping. But mm-hmm. I realize money is you know very painful to lose for a lot of people. Yeah, and you know as much as a human being as I am, like, I'm very honest, transparent, I want to help others. And that's where I felt like I I probably didn't do a good job doing my due diligence, I should have Mm -hmm. waited years, as opposed to months to let other people know about it. Yeah, that's, I can imagine that must have been really tough to feel like you were trying to help a friend, and then it just completely 180 degrees, and you lose that friendship. You've touched on this uh, a little bit, but what are what are the biggest things that you learned from this experience that you that you bring to your your business now and, and to your relationships and, and your life as a whole? Man, I, I've learned so much, not just from this experience, but like gravitating towards people that are really, really positive and in it for the right reasons. Learning about people, reading people, understanding their roots, their journey, and what drives them right so getting to know real people makes a big difference and as opposed to an acquaintance or someone that knows someone else right like get to really know them so i vet a lot i it's the same thing as business like it's a long-term relationship that i'm getting into so we need to know as much as i can about clients about staff about any vendors and suppliers before i jump into a, a relationship so Honesty, transparency, just integrity is a big thing. I'm not as curious as I used to be because I'm not chasing anymore. I'm okay with slow and steady. I'm okay with fact-checking, vetting, gut reaction, long-term perspective versus wanting to get rich quick, right, in weeks or days or months or, you know, within a year. That doesn't attract me because I've been burnt. I know what it feels like. So I'd never want anyone to to have that experience ever in their life. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in your experience and the way you've described it really emphasizes to me the importance, especially for entrepreneurs, of having community, of having that 
circle, whether it's friends, family, whether it's your mastermind group, your online, your membership community, whatever it is, you know, we can all, we all are smart, intelligent, savvy in different ways. But if you'd had that voice in your ear early on of some, from someone you trusted saying like, no, this is, this is not what you think it is, that things may have turned out differently. Definitely. People that you can trust. I mean, mentors, coaches, community, friends that are really in it for the right reasons, right? In your life and not just to take advantage of you, right? So they'll be honest with you and they want the best for you. So surround yourself with really, really good people and you're going to be better off in life. Awesome. I love it. John, if folks want to be able to find you online, where, where should they go? So I have a, a company called Local SEO Search. You can check it out at www.localseosearch.ca. Awesome. Well, thanks again for chatting with me today. It's been a pleasure to, to hear your story and, and learn what you learned from it and what other entrepreneurs can hopefully take from it to make better decisions and surround themselves with great people and, and build the businesses that, that they want. So, so thank you again. Thank you, Ray. Wow, Ray, that's quite a story. And I love how John was able to work hard toward turning his life around after such a huge loss. And it's so inspiring. I can't imagine losing $100,000 in my 20s. I didn't really have $100,000 to lose when I was in my 20s. But if I had, you know, I think I would have just fallen into depression and stayed in bed all day. So, you know, kudos to John for really working hard to turn his life around. Totally. And, you know, John would say as much, but he was, he was pretty lucky. You know, a lot of people who get scammed like he did, they aren't in the position that he was in, you know, with a full-time job, they're still pretty young. So he definitely came out on the other end in pretty good shape. Yeah. Now, before we go today, I know you have your own failure story to share with us this week, don't you? I do. Yes. And it's quite embarrassing. Hopefully not something on the scale of a Ponzi scheme, though. No, 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 not a Ponzi scheme. This is more of a mom fail, failure story, Uh, (laughs) or parenting fail. fail. I know the fail. Yeah, yeah. So it was my daughter's fifth birthday, and she really wanted a pinata for her birthday party. So I was like, yeah, sure. You know, so I went to Target and bought a really cute little unicorn pinata. And then the day of the party comes along and all her little five-year-old friends and the neighbor kids are, you know, at our house for the birthday party. And we set up the pinata and, you know, the kids, you know, take turns like, you know, hitting the pinata, trying to get the candy to come out. Finally, it breaks open and nothing comes out. And (laughs) what? (laughs) yeah, I didn't realize that you have to actually buy the candy to put in the pinata. Yeah. Oh man. You you th- you would think that I would have, you know, thought that something was wrong because the unicorn kind of felt a little light. I was like, you didn't oh. shake it when you yeah, got it. Yeah, no, I didn't like, shake it. So, like, you oh, know. Candy's in there. So, there were a lot of disappointed little 5-year-olds, but, you know, then I just offered them cake and they were fine. So, Okay. Yeah, at least you had that in your in your back pocket. I mean, you could have maybe just like told them you lost all the candy in an elaborate pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah, maybe. right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of Flops. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Flops. For more information on today's episode, including links and show notes, please visit smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Special thanks to John Vaughn for joining us on today's episode. Learn more about him and his business, Local SEO Search, by visiting localseosearch.ca. Your hosts are me, Ray Sylvester, and Karen Beatty. Flops is a production of SPI Media. 
Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. And our series producers are David Grabowski and senior producer Sarah Jane Hess. Writing by Ray Sylvester and Karen Beatty. Editing and sound design by Paul Gregoris. Music by David Grabowski. See you next time.